He's Hacker. I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us on a Thursday as we are now inside of 72 hours until the Jacksonville Jaguars head to Nashville to take on the Tennessee Titans where a win will win the AFC South. For the second straight year for Jacksonville, of course, a loss will more than likely end the Jaguars season, and we will get to that in just one moment. So certainly a lot to get into there. Guest lineup looks like this coming up in about 15 minutes. My buddy Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, will stop by as we'll take a look at Jacksonville and Tennessee. We'll certainly talk about Evan Ingram, Josh Allen, some of the single-season records that fell last week. Also, former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor joins us in about 35 minutes or so as we'll take a deep dive into the Jaguars and the Titans. So basically, all Jaguars in hour number one, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, followed by former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor. I want to start on the Jaguars as well. And every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So as we mentioned, we're less than 72 hours away. And, and there's an interesting thing going on in the city. Uh, at least that I've noticed. Group of friends. Jaguar fans. People are thinking the Jaguars are going to go to Tennessee and win the game. I happen to think they are as well. But I want to mentally prepare you for something. All right? If they lose, odds are the season is over. If they lose, they can still get in with a Pittsburgh loss and a Denver loss. But keep in mind, Baltimore is going to rest all of their key players against Pittsburgh. Las Vegas has nothing to play for against Denver. So if the Jacksonville Jaguars lose on Sunday in Nashville, which is not far-fetched, by the way. Remember, up until last year, the Jaguars had not won a game up there since 2013. Nashville had been a house of horrors. That's horrors, Denmark. Now, a house of horrors. I'd notice that. For the Jaguars. Well, you got to be careful when you say that. Got to use the R's there. Horrors for the Jaguars. And I want to take the negative approach. I know that's shocking for you to hear that coming out of my mouth. I've been ultra positive guy here on Hacker After Dark, and I really have been. I think I've changed my tone. Maybe I'm getting a little older a little wiser, but I've been far more positive about Jacksonville since I came into the evenings than I ever was when I was on primetime. But 
what if Jacksonville loses on Sunday and their season comes to an end at 9-8, and eight, the same record that they had in 2022? Would it be the biggest disappointment season-wise in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars? I think you could argue that. There's not a lot of options as far as disappointing seasons. Nothing was expected of the team in 95 or 96 when they made their run. They had expectations after 96, and they lived up to them. Playoffs in 97, playoffs in 98, playoffs in 99. You could argue the 2000 season was a big disappointment as well. But I think people sort of knew after the loss in the AFC Championship game that the Jaguar roster that had been for the previous four years was going to take a little bit of a step back. We didn't realize how big that step was going to be. We didn't realize they were going to be awful for the next five years. So you could argue the 2000 season was a disappointment. You could certainly argue 2006, 2008, I guess, might have been disappointments to an extent. But again, I don't think the expectations were really there. You could make an argument for 2018. Coming off that AFC Championship game lost to New England, a lot was expected out of Jacksonville in 2018, particularly after their 3-1 and start. And they completely and totally fell right on their face and were not able to do anything in 2018. 2018 might be your best argument. But fast forward to where we are now. The expectations on this team were gigantic. Six weeks ago, we were talking about Jacksonville getting the number one seed in the AFC. The number one seed in the AFC less than six weeks ago. And now, on Sunday, the Jaguars find themselves in a position where they have to win a division game on the road just to get into the playoffs. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's hard. It's hard to win division road games. And Jacksonville's already won two of them. They went to Indy and one. They went to Houston and one. Can they sweep the road in the division? There can't be too many times in Jaguar history that they've done that. In fact, thinking out loud, I don't know if they've ever done that. I'm willing to bet they've never done that. Win every division road game they had. They certainly hadn't done it. Well, no, they lost to Indy last year. So, no, they didn't do it last year. Then you have to go back to minimum 2013 because they did not win it in Tennessee since 2013. 2013, 2012, they were awful. If it's been done, it's been over a decade, but I'd be hard-pressed to believe they've ever won every division road game in a season. So you're looking to buck history for starters, and you're looking to avoid what potentially is the biggest collapse in franchise history. From 8-3 and three, and the number one seed in the AFC for a few hours in week 12 to now here we are six weeks later, having to win a division road game just to get into the playoffs. 
I believe Jacksonville is going to win. I believe that you believe, or at least most of you believe, Jacksonville is going to win. Tennessee's a bad football team. Jacksonville's clearly better. Jacksonville has more to play for. Tennessee playing out the stretch. They'll be on vacation this time next week. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like 2021? When the Jaguars played the final game of the year at home against Indianapolis. Jacksonville had just fired Urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence was struggling his rookie year. Indianapolis came down here, final Sunday of the season. Everything on the line. And Jacksonville absolutely beat the brakes off of them. Beat the brakes off of them. You rest assured, man, Tennessee's had an awful year at 5-11, and 11, but if they were to knock Jacksonville out of the playoffs, much like Jacksonville did to them last year, I don't know if it makes their season, but it salvages something in their season. And from what I've been told up in Nashville from people I've talked to up there, they're going to have a nice crowd because it's likely to be Derrick Henry's final game as a Titan likely to be Ryan Tannehill's final game in Nashville as a Titan with the added bonus of potentially ruining Jacksonville's season. It would be a hard pill to swallow if Jacksonville went from 8-3 and three to flat out missing the playoffs. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because most of you that I've talked to, in fact, almost everybody that I've talked to, is thinking about Cleveland next week. And I would love to have that conversation with you. I would love to break down wild card weekend, Cleveland at Jacksonville. And you know what? If the Jaguars win come the fifth quarter Sunday evening, that is exactly what we will be doing. But by no means am I counting the chickens before they hatch, man. I think this is going to be a tough game. Again, it's hard to win on the road in the division. Jacksonville's looking for the clean sweep. You're playing a team that has literally nothing to lose, just like you had two years ago when you ruin Indy's season. I really hope the players that were here two years ago are using that as motivation, as fuel, as a guide on what not to do in Week 18. If Jacksonville goes out there and they play their game, They should win. If they resort back to turning the ball over, committing stupid penalties, giving Tennessee life in the second half, that could be a tough deal on Sunday for the fifth quarter. There will be a lot of upset people. Again, if Jacksonville doesn't make the postseason here in 2023-2024, You could argue it would be the most disappointing season in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And from Thanksgiving onward, from 8-3 and to potentially missing the playoffs, it would indeed be the biggest collapse in franchise history over the last month and a half. Hopefully we're not talking about that next week. Hopefully it's all about Cleveland and Jacksonville next week here at Everbank Stadium 
we're all fired up, and we're going to have a conversation about that. But do not overlook the Tennessee Titans. Probably like Indianapolis overlooked you two years ago. We'll see. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Kickoff at 1 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 8 a.m. Leon Searcy, Dave Campo, and myself will have the fifth quarter for you two hours after the Jaguars and the Titans go final on Sunday up in Nashville. All Jaguars in hour number one tonight. Former tight end for the Jaguars, Clay Harbor, joins me in less than 30 minutes. Coming up next, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's talk Jags. Let's talk AFC South. Let's also look at some absolutely terrific performances this year. Josh Allen, your single-season sack leader. Evan Ingram, only the second player in Jaguar history to have 100 catches in a single season, joining Jimmy Smith. Those guys deserve to be discussed, and we'll do it next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And as always, we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday at 1 o'clock. A win for Jacksonville means another division championship. A loss for Jacksonville more than likely means missing the postseason. The stakes are very, very high in Nashville on Sunday. With that, let me welcome in my friend Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Ryan, I'm good. Nice to hear from you, and Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Brian, it was a great New Year's for the Jaguars. 26-0, a much-needed victory over Carolina, despite a backup quarterback in C.J. Beathard. Brian, I thought it was nearly a flawless game on both sides of the ball. Well, and didn't they need that, Ryan? I mean, they just, to me, a one-point win would have been enough. Uh, in fact, in many respects, you know, grinding one out might have been cathartic for this team because so many things had gone wrong in that four-game losing streak, turnovers and penalties, and it just, it had compounded to a point that it felt like the Jaguars needed to purge themselves. And it just so happened they got a team that wasn't playing very well, that isn't very good. And they more than purged themselves. They pushed themselves back to where they wanted to be, which is in a position to claim a second consecutive AFC South title. Um, you know, there are still things this team needs to do much better, but at least they can get that taste out of their mouth. I know you're in the locker room. You know how guys have been reacting to it. They needed something to believe in, and we'll find out this week just how much they believe in themselves. Well, I thought C.J. Beathard, Brian, for what he was asked to do, was it the the sexiest performance, if you will? No, not necessarily, but not a turnover. There were a couple instances where Brian Burns could have forced a turnover, and Beathard took care of the football, took what Carolina gave him. He obviously had the one deep shot to Agnew. Unfortunately, Jamal got hurt on that play, but I thought for what the Jaguars asked Beathard to do, Brian, I thought it was an A-plus performance. It certainly was. And, you know, we've seen backup quarterbacks come in this season, a record amount of them, I believe, and win games for their teams. And, you know, the it was, it was so important for them just to change the trajectory of the way things were going. In that four-game losing streak, they turned the ball over 10 times. They just needed to settle everything down. You know, I am firmly in the camp that I believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be that quarterback that everyone expects him to be. 
But things weren't going well. And he's playing with a knee and an ankle and a concussion. And, you know, it just seemed like it was the right time for him to stand and watch, take a deep breath, heal himself to whatever degree he could, and see that you don't always have to be the hero, right? I think he'd been playing hero ball the last couple of weeks and trying to do things that he just couldn't do, make throws that he just couldn't make uh, or shouldn't make, as in the case of a couple of those turnovers. And I think this is a good breather for him. I have no idea whether we see him this week or not. I certainly hope that we do. Uh, But Beathard came in and served a useful purpose on the field and off because they can go watch the film together and Trevor can learn something from CJ. Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Brian, we saw a couple of big moments in franchise history on Sunday. Let's begin with Evan Ingram. Obviously, you were on the call for all the Jimmy Smith great performances back in the day. Evan Ingram joins Jimmy Smith now as the only two Jaguars to ever have 100 catches in a single season. And to me, crazy enough, I believe Evan is only the eighth tight end in NFL history to ever do that. What a small, small amount of guys Evan Ingram joined in the 100-catch club in a single year. Well, go look at the list. I mean, it's a Hall of Fame caliber list of players who have ever done that as a tight end. Look, he's different from Jimmy in the sense that Jimmy was the big play guy down the field. And Evan is that guy who is just always, you know, six, eight, seven yards. You know, you choose beyond the line of scrimmage and makes the catch and finds a way to the first down. He is as big a play as Jimmy was in terms of he gets things done. Um, but his, his, his functionality, his usefulness, the thing that he does best is Mr. Dependability. He is always where he's supposed to be. And he uses that 245 pound body to power his way into first downs. And he's, he's his clutch. He's never been to a pro bowl. Jimmy went to five. Um, but I'm telling you, he is as clutch a player as the Jaguars have had. And on the defensive side of the ball, Josh Allen breaks Calais Campbell's single-season mark for sacks. Boy, Josh Allen. You know, Tony Baselli before the year, said he believed Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker would combine for 25 sacks. And I looked at him like he was crazy. And now I've proven to be the crazy one because Big Bo was dead on and they still have a game to go. Allen, 16-and-a-half, and Trayvon Walker, give credit to him, he's up to nine sacks this year. That duo was unstoppable on Sunday, and Josh Allen etches his names in the Jaguar uh, record books. Well, first on Allen. I mean, the night they drafted him in 2019, I got to spend some time with him in Nashville because I was up there covering the draft, and I thought this guy has a chance to be special. And, of course, when he had Unique Ngakwe and Calais Campbell on the field with him, in 2019, he was special. He had 10 and a half sacks. But then he got hurt in 2020. And then this team wasn't very good in 21. And they built back around him last year. And all of a sudden, now he's finally at a position five years in to be able to do what he does best, which is just attack the pocket. He's so athletic. I mean, he's like a lion on the field. You know, he's got that power and that explosiveness and that mobility, the ability to change direction as the quarterback stepped into the pocket the other day and he reached in and pulled him back out and pulled him to the ground. That was my favorite sack of his all season long because it showed everything that he can do. He's an awesome guy, an awesome football player, and he's going to be in Jacksonville for a long time. And with the other guy over there, and let me beat on the drum because I've been the guy who's been telling people, hold on on Trayvon Walker. This is a great football player. He's coming. 
The pass rush side we knew was going to take time. It took a little bit longer than many people really wanted to wait. But all of a sudden, the last three games, he has four sacks. He has big plays. He pushes the pocket. He's learning how to adjust. He always seems to be around the quarterback and yet not able to quite finish. But he's learning how to finish. And I think this is a great pass rushing duo. I would have said 25 was high. I would have thought that Josh would have gotten, you know, 12 this year and Trayvon eight and taken that step, you know, forward. That 25 and a half is great. And I, I, I think this week against a Titans offensive line that gave up six last week, I think Trayvon can get over 10, and that's a win for him. And I think that Josh can add to his total. That's the hope. The Titan offensive line, uh, well, they basically got Will Levis killed on Sunday in Houston. It was a bad performance, and we'll get more on Tennessee in just a moment. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us. Brian, I guess it's a coincidence, although it's a weird one. Two and six is the Jaguar record without Cam Robinson. Seven and one is the Jaguar record with Cam Robinson. And I was joking around earlier this week, 2024 is officially an election year, so let me change my stance on yeah. Cam Robinson. Brian, I think you got to bring him back. I mean, he's the yep. best left tackle, and I know it's a big salary cap hit. Maybe you renegotiate it, do whatever you need to do. Cam Robinson needs to be here next year. I totally agree. He brings an attitude. I mean, he just doesn't let anybody get comfortable, uh, whether he's on – his team, or as we found out with Derek Brown, the other team. I, I love that, by the way. I love the fact that he wouldn't let go. He knew that it didn't matter if he took a penalty or got thrown out of the game at that point. I think if, he, if the game had been closer, Cam is a smart enough football player, he would have let go. But he was setting the tone. And this team, didn't they need that? They needed a kick in the ass. Let's go. Let's play. And he's the guy that does it. He's the biggest guy on the team. Uh, and he's the baddest guy on the team. He's, I don't mean that in a negative sense. He's a great guy. But He's the guy who plays like a bad man, and they needed that. You know, I was one of those guys. He's a $19 million cap savings. And earlier this year, we were looking at the quarterback and the cornerback and the pass rusher, and you're wondering how you're going to sign all of these guys. Well, you know, all of a sudden now, you're probably going to go further with Tyson Campbell into next year before you sign him because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, you know, there are a lot of guys that you thought you may want to pay, and you don't have to. And the way that the salary cap is going to grow next year, I think you can get the Jaguars to probably 65 or 70 million under the cap without having to go crazy. Um, you know, you're probably going to replace Brandon Sheriff for sure. And you probably don't bring Rayshon Jenkins back. You know, there's a couple of little things that you can do to give yourself the cap room to keep Cam Robinson. Uh, because right now he's worth the $24 million cap hit that he presents to you next year. You know, the injuries on this team have been well-documented, and they have been a lot. And there was another one on Sunday, unfortunately, with Jamal Agnew. But take Agnew aside for a moment, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Brian, this is as healthy as the Jaguar defense has been the entire year. I mean, that's the Jaguar defense. They're not missing anybody out there. And they shut out Carolina, one of their best games of the year. You look offensively, we'll see about Trevor. Christian Kirk's window is about to open, it looks like. It sounds like Zay Jones is getting ready to get back. I mean, as bad as the injuries have been, if the Jaguars find a way to win on Sunday, they may be a relatively healthy team going into Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, it's a good time for this team to be getting healthy. And two areas in particular where they've got to find a way to get stronger in the middle of that offensive line 
and they've got to get strong this week in the middle of their defensive line. On the offensive side, you'd love to see if Ezra Cleveland is able to come back and play for you. They put Tyler Shatley in there because Cleveland had been peg-legging it a couple of weeks uh, since the Browns' loss when he injured his knee. Then Walker Little hasn't been the same since he had the hamstring injury that he had to play through in the Bengals game. So you hope to get one of those guys back because they're a better option for you than Tyler Shatley. So hopefully you get stronger in the middle because there's just not a lot of push. That would help. And on the defensive side, don't you know that in what is likely Derrick Henry's final game as a Tennessee Titan, you're going to see number 22 over and over and over. And you better be able to stop the run this week. If you do, you win. Quick stat for you. Derrick Henry this year, when he averages 17 carries or fewer in a game, 37 yards rushing. 18 or more, 114. You know you're going to see him 20 to 25 times on Sunday. So this team is getting healthy in a lot of areas, as you mentioned. But they've got to get healthy in the middle of that offensive line and the middle of that defensive line for Sunday. Final moments, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, about half of this roster, a little over half, was here two years ago, the season finale 2021. Jaguars didn't have anything to play for. The Indianapolis Colts come in here with everything to play for, and the Jaguars absolutely put one on the Indianapolis Colts, ruining their season. And I hope, even though Doug Peterson wasn't here and most of the staff wasn't here, I hope they beat that into the heads of the guys that were, that you were the Titans two years ago, and you ruined Indianapolis' season. Tennessee would love nothing more than to do that to you, because keep in mind, you ended their year a year ago. Even though the Titans looked very listless and uneventful against Houston, you know Vrabel's going to be pounding into their skulls. You can ruin Jacksonville's season on Sunday, and the Jaguars need to be prepared for that. One hundred percent. Here's what works in their favor: the uh, the Steelers play the Ravens on Saturday, and if the Steelers beat the Ravens, and the Ravens have already said they're going to sit a lot of people, so the Steelers probably do. It puts the Jaguars in a position of knowing that they have to win to get in, right? Because the Jaguars need to win, and they're in, or they need to have the Raiders beat the Broncos and the Steelers lose to the Ravens. Okay. So you're going to know on Saturday night that you win and get in and have no help. I firmly believe that. So they'll be highly motivated. They'll understand what's at stake. And I, I remember that game. I've been telling people about that game at the end of 2021, Ryan, for the last couple of days. But I also know that on average, a team that needs to win late in the season in the NFL, playing a team that has nothing to gain most of the time, the team that needs it gets it. That's just the way it rolls. So my guess is is that Doug will have them ready. I think they'll know, I know they'll know, that they have to win to get in and not worry about help from anybody because I don't think that this, the, the Ravens are going to beat the Steelers if they're sitting everybody and the Steelers need to win. Um, so I, I expect they'll be ready to go. I, I expect this team to go up there and handle this business because I don't think that this Titans team has the ability – to keep the defensive line from wrecking the game plan. I don't think they do. And so I think the Jaguars win. Tennessee was awful last week against Houston. I wonder, you know, where they are mentally coming into the season finale. Brian, final question. The AFC South has been crazy all year. What's your thought? If you think Jacksonville wins on Sunday, and I tend to agree with you, what happens Saturday night between Indianapolis and Houston? Uh, you know, 
I'm going to say that the home team wins and that the Colts beat the Texans because I just, you know, CJ Stroud's played so well. I mean, he's rookie of the year. I mean, hands down. And D'Amico Ryans is probably, if he's not the coach of the year, he's right there at the top of the voting list when that, that comes out. Um, but the Colts and, and Gardner Minshew, who, you know, no disrespect intended, but we know what Gardner is. He's a career backup. He will be in this league a long time as a backup. And yet he's played like a starter this year. He's, he's fumbled the ball in the red zone, and he's, he's thrown interceptions that he didn't need to throw, and he's made enough mistakes. However, when presented with an opportunity, and that defense and now the running game with Jonathan Taylor should present him with opportunities, I think Minshew and the Colts win. It'll certainly be interesting. Again, the winner of that game is guaranteed a playoff spot. The loser is out, and the winner of that game will then sit with their feet propped up on Sunday, hoping for a Titans loss, or hope to a Titans win, rather, over the Jaguars, and that would give the winner of the Texans-Colts the AFC South championship. And then, not even to mention the fact, Buffalo and Miami for the AFC East on Sunday night. Buffalo could win the East and be the number two seed, or there's even a scenario where they miss the playoffs entirely. The AFC has crazy. been crazy all year, crazy. and it's going to be some weekend coming up. Brian, what's coming up on Jaguars.com to get people ready for Sunday? Well, obviously all the coverage you know, tilted towards the Titans, but we're spending a lot of time on Fred Taylor as well uh, because you know this is coming up really quick. And not that we were surprised that Fred was named a finalist. We were delighted. Uh, but we're turning around and burning and getting as much Fred content up there to highlight a Hall of Fame career, despite the fact that he played in a small market and played on some Jaguars teams that were not playoff caliber teams. He, he just, the force of his ability was so strong. I'll give you a quick stretch. In 2007, and most people forget about this, in 2007, between week 12 and 16, he had five consecutive 100-yard games. The Jaguars went 4-1, and one, losing only to Peyton Manning and the Colts, and that got them to the wild card. Fred Taylor did that with an 80-yard touchdown run against the Panthers, a 62-yard touchdown run against the Raiders, a 50-yard touchdown run against the Bills, and the game-winning touchdown run against the Steelers in the regular season. So you know, you just the more you look at Fred, the more you realize he wasn't just a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player. So we're spending a lot of time and energy this week highlighting one of our all-time greats and a Hall of Fame person as well. I'm happy you brought that up. Some of the great memories of my teenage years were Brian Sexton's calls of Fred Taylor touchdown, the 90-yarder against the Dolphins, 62-7. 90 yards! I mean, I can't tell you how many times I listened to that <laughs> call of yours. It must have been a cool moment for you who spent so much time with Fred over the years to see him announced as one of the 15 finalists. Well, first of all, you honor me, my friend, with saying that, and I appreciate that. I'm an emotional person, uh, and Fred gave us so many great emotional moments. Um, I just, I loved it. And and he's a friend and someone that I work with on game day, and I just am blessed to have crossed paths with him and, and will stand there and beat the drum in the freezing cold if I have to, uh, wherever they ask me uh, that Fred Taylor, does he belong? Yes, he does. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always, for the time. And I certainly hope you and I are having a conversation next week previewing Wild Card Weekend. You have my phone number, Ryan. You know I'll answer it. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on Hacker After Dark. I want to do more Jaguars coming up in just about five minutes or so. Former Jaguar tight end, Clay Harbor. 
will join me to talk Jags, AFC South, and more. Also in the 9 o'clock hour, Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on primetime. You also get him here occasionally on Hacker After Dark. We'll do a little national championship, Washington-Michigan preview. Also talk a little Florida and Florida State in the transfer portal. But coming up next, back into the Jaguars with a former Jacksonville Jaguar, tight end Clay Harbor, joins me next, Hacker After Dark, on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. A win for the Jaguars means their second straight AFC South championship. A loss in Nashville on Sunday more than likely will end the Jaguar season. The stakes are awfully high in Nashville. With that, let's talk to a man that played many years in the National Football League, some of those right here in Jacksonville. Always enjoy talking with my buddy Clay Harbor, former tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us here on 1010XL. Clay, how you doing? I'm great, Ryan. It was good to see a big win for the Jaguars. Get up to 9-7. and seven and have the chance to go back to the playoffs for the second straight year in the same scenario as last year. You know, you win and you're in. They had the situation last year. They came up big, and, you know, I'm hoping they can do the same thing this week and and get after the Titans in Nashville. Clay, they had lost four in a row, man. Seemingly nothing was going right. Mm. They had to play without Trevor Lawrence, and they put yeah. one on Carolina. And albeit Carolina's not a good team, but – can one mm-hmm. win correct a month worth of wrongs? You know, it really can in this situation, I think, because you get that one win and you put yourself, you build yourself up a cushion. And that's something that they were able to do, and that matters. And we can't forget that last week the Panthers lost to the Green Bay Packers, who are a solid football team, by three points in the final seconds. We can't forget the week before that, the Panthers beat the Falcons. I'm not saying the Falcons are a great football team by any stretch, but they did beat them. So the Panthers have actually been a little better than what they have been early in the season. So to me, yes, you beat the worst team in the league, but this team the last couple of games have been showing some improvement. So to me, that means a lot there too. But I think getting this W without Trevor Lawrence, but more importantly, the way they did it, showing you can run the ball. And obviously the Panthers don't have a great running defense, but showing you can run the football. 155 yards, two touchdowns, four and a half yards a carry. That is something big, showing you can win without Trevor and also for the defense. Josh Allen, three sacks, 16 and a half on the season. Trayvon Walker, obviously he fell into one of them, but he still got a couple sacks too. So overall, getting after the passer, it's something they didn't do well over this this four-game losing streak, protecting the quarterback, running the football, something they didn't do well over this four-game losing streak, but showing you can get back in an NFL game, live action, and do those things, to me, was very impressive. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Clay, sometimes we in the media, the fan base, they like to make the NFL into advanced trigonometry times 100, right? Well, and sometimes yeah. all it needs to be is your basic algebra, right? Your basic math. You tackle the other guy. You don't commit turnovers. When they're giving you five yard down and outs, you take them, which is what C.J. Beathard did on Sunday. And if you do those mm-hmm. things consistently, 
ultimately, at the end of the day, you win 26 nothing. I mean, it wasn't the sexiest or most glamorous performance, but I think it's just what the doctor ordered for this Jaguar football team. And absolutely, Ryan, you're absolutely right. And I think this next week against the Titans is going to be more of the same. I think the Titans are a team that you don't have to do anything crazy to beat. Obviously, they always play the Jaguars tough. The Jags did beat them 34-14 to 14 early in the season. But, you know, this Titans team would like nothing more than to ruin the Jaguars' uh, playoff berth. And this team is coming off of three straight losses themselves and obviously lost pretty badly 26-3 to to the Houston Texans. So I think you do things like you just said. You tackle. You rush the passer. We don't know who's going to be starting a quarterback for him next week. You get the run game going, and then you just go off of that. I don't care if it's Trevor or Beathard. This game, you don't have to do anything crazy. You have the better players. Do the small things right. Have a nice, tight, and compact game plan, and make sure you come out of there with everybody really crisp, really clear on what they're doing, and go out there and get a win. Just like you did against the Panthers, you beat the Titans, then you made the tournament, and then all bets are off. You might have to open things up again. But this game is a game where you just have to make sure you do the small things right. Clay, I want to ask you about three guys in particular, and then we'll certainly look ahead to this weekend. Number one is a guy that plays the position you played in the NFL, Evan Ingram at tight end. Becomes only the second Jaguar player ever, joining Jimmy Smith to have 100 catches in a single season. And I was shocked when I heard this. He's now, I believe, one of only eight tight ends ever in the history of the NFL to have 100 catches in a single season. What's been your thoughts on Ingram here in 2023? Oh, he's been great, man. And he's been one of those guys that have been consistent. And and that's something that you really need for, for a young quarterback. Obviously, obviously when, uh, when Kirk goes down, you know, that's worrisome. And, you know, I thought maybe Ridley would step up a little more. You know, I think Ridley's okay. I thought maybe he'd have even a bigger impact than he did. But Evan Ingram, I think, really stepped up and showed that he is one of the best tight ends in the league. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of good tight ends out there. But I think you put receiving-wise, you can put him up there with any of them. What I love about Ingram is the way that you can you can tighten him up, you can split him out, you can do so many different things with him. He's a versatile guy. He's a guy that gives effort in the blocking game. I'm not saying he's a great blocker, but he's a guy that you can keep attached. You don't have to split him out. So he creates matchup problems. If you keep a defensive back in, you go nickel and you put a defensive back on Evan Ingram, he can block him and create a mismatch in the running game. If you try to put a linebacker on him for run game purposes, he is too fast for you to guard uh, by a linebacker. I mean, the guy, he still looks like he's got that 4-4 speed we saw at the NFL Combine so many years ago when he really made a splash for himself. So for me, I love how he gives the effort in the blocking game. And he makes himself a mismatch problem by doing that. He runs solid, crisp routes, and he's been catching the football. You know, the, the old knock on him was he couldn't catch the football, couldn't hold on to the football when he got it, have a little bit of a fumbling problem. But he has shown he put those doubts to rest, and he has really become a good weapon for Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, as a tight end, I love watching his route running ability. I love watching how he attacks the ball. But more importantly, I'm a little bit of an old-school guy, Ryan. I like a tight end that gives effort blocking, and that's something he does. Former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor here with us on 1010XL. Clay, I know you do a lot of work uh, in Chicago and NFC North territory, and certainly Aiden Hutchinson getting a lot of acclaim up there, as he should. He's been terrific. But I got to tell you, very quietly down here in Jacksonville, 
Trayvon Walker is starting to make an impact as well. What's been your thoughts on Trayvon Walker here in the last month? I'll be honest, Ryan. I've been a guy that, that, that said that I think that the Jaguars did miss on Aiden Hutchinson. But of late, like you said, I mean, quietly, Trayvon Walker's become a really good run defender. And that's something he, he's just he, – he's tough to run on his side because he's so long and he's good at setting the edge. But also – He's becoming a good pass rusher too, as you can see. Double digit sacks for this guy. I mean, he's he's done some really good things and improved so much in the pass rushing game at, that it's it's really you know he's got nine sacks this year, but it's really shown what kind of growth he has. I don't think that he is even close to where he can be. People forget this guy just turned twenty three uh, like less than a month ago. So less than a month ago, this guy turned 23. He'll be 23 next year when the games start playing. He is young. He doesn't have an assortment of moves. He's not a guy that has a big dip and rip. He has a spin move. He does a bunch of crazy stuff, but he has a motor. He has a good bull rush. And once he gets, he can use the speed rush a little more and he gets a couple more moves in his arsenal. Another off season, you know, they knew this guy was going to be a project, but he's 6'5", 275 pounds on a freak athlete. I think in the long haul, and I'll tell you, I might, I, at first I said no, but in the long haul, I think Trayvon Walker will be the better of the two between Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker, and I think he's he's perfectly fit in Jacksonville, and he's just got to keep getting better. Yeah, from three and a half sacks his rookie year to nine sacks this year with a game to go. And then finally, that brings us to Josh Allen. Now, you had a lot of good pass rushers as teammates when you were here in Jacksonville but Josh Allen now stands alone. The single-season sack record, 16-and-a-half sacks for Josh Allen. Clay, personally, I know he's not going to win it, but I don't think he's getting talked near enough about for Defensive Player of the Year. He's right there. He may win the sack uh, total when all's said and done. We'll see what happens in Week 18. But the pressure rate, I think he's in the top five of that as well. What a year for Josh Allen. No, Ryan, you're absolutely right. This guy's been a force all year. Pressure rate, hits, hurries, every metric, pass rates, pass rate, pass rusher, win rate, every metric you look at, Josh Allen is in the top ten. You can't you can't find a metric with it when it comes to rushing the passer. Any way you want to spin it, this guy is in the top ten of every metric. And to me, that does say one thing. Hey, this guy is should be in the running for defensive player of the year. You know, and that's that's something a test to his skill and ability and how he keeps improving. And one thing you don't realize about Josh Allen, too, Ryan, is he's only 26 years old. I mean, this guy's still young. I would really love to see him back in Jacksonville. Obviously, he's a free agent, but he has shown he's a weapon. He has a, a, a variety of pass rush moves. He has a nice full rush. He can do a speed rush. And he's also got a little bit of that wiggle, that Allen Iverson. I used to, when I'm playing, the guys I didn't used to like blocking were the guys that could give you a move. That Allen Iverson crossover, guys that could do that. The guys that were more of a bull rush, straight ahead, I'm going to beat you with power and strength, guys. I didn't mind those guys, okay? But Josh Allen is so versatile in his pass rush game that you can't game plan for one thing. And going back to guys I've played against, a guy like like J.J. Watt, big guy, could move, was strong, but he had some wiggle. He was a guy that is slippery, that could just get past you with a number of moves, and that's what made him so good. And that's the same type of thing I see with Josh Allen. He's not winning one way. He's winning multiple ways, and that's why he has shown 
to be such a good pass rusher. And every metric you look at, he is in the top 10. And I think you're right. In my opinion, this guy does need to be in that conversation for the defensive player of the year. All right, Clay, as we begin to wrap up, through 17 weeks, the NFL season, as you know, man, is a roller coaster, ups and downs, <laughs> sideways, you name it. But the AFC <laughs> South comes down to Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. Now, we know Indianapolis-Houston is a playoff game. The winner yeah. of that game makes the playoffs. The loser is out. And the winner of that game Saturday night will then sit back on Sunday and hope for a Titans win that would, in a sense, knock the Jaguars out and give the Saturday night winner the AFC South championship. Uh, the, either way, we know the Colts-Texans winner is in. If the Jaguars win, that means the South gets two teams into the postseason. What's your thought on the way this whole thing is going to play out this weekend? Oh, man, I love it. You know, I think it's I think it's great. I, for the Jaguars, I think it's great. It's the same thing that happened to them last year, going down to the same place, you, the, same thing. You win and you're in. Okay, you you're playing in the same spot. You're playing the Tennessee Titans. You win this game, you are going to the playoffs. And I think if you could tell someone the beginning of the season, you know, maybe they wouldn't be happy with that. But to me, if I'm a player and you tell me week 17, going into week 17, I have a chance to make the playoffs if we win. I'm happy with that. We got a chance to make the tournament, and then all bets are off. We've already won a playoff game. Let us get there. Let us get to the tournament, and then I think I like our chances. And I really like how this this whole division is kind of coming too. It's 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 you've seen these teams have drafted well. Obviously the Colts, obviously Houston, they've done well. They've improved their team, and I like the fact that they're good. I mean, some people are upset, you know. Unfortunately, you get C.J. Stroud. You got a lot of good young players out there, you know. Noah Brown, Tank Dell, whatever with Houston. But I think, you know, I hope that Houston and Jacksonville both can make the playoffs. I think that's good for the AFC South, and I think the Jaguars will come out with a win this week and, and looking forward to that playoff run. Obviously, you can't count your chickens before they hatch, but I like where the Jags at, and I, I got a really good feeling that they're going to win this game and get in the playoffs and, and cause some havoc there. Well, a lot of people are happy to hear that. Clay, final question, 90 seconds left. Down here this week, all the talk is about – Tennessee wanting to ruin Jacksonville's season, much like Jacksonville did to Indianapolis two years ago. Is that media talk? Is that fan talk? Or is there something to that in that Titan locker room wanting to take Jacksonville into the offseason with them? No, that's not fan talk. You go into that situation and you're a team that you really don't have much to play for. You know your offseason starts after this game. But you would like nothing more than to go in with momentum and end one of your division rival seasons. That'll be something that can build you up heading into the offseason, something you can look back on. Hey, this was a playoff team. We had momentum. We beat the playoff team coming into this year. And that's something they really want to do. That's not that's not fan talk. That's not just cliche. That's really something that the, the Tennessee Titans want to do. They want to ruin the Jaguar season and show like, hey, next year, you better come with your chin strap buckled because we are not coming in here to finish second or third or fourth in this division. We are here to show you that we can play with the division champion. So that's definitely something they want to do. But the Jaguars have more talent and more ability. I don't care if Levis plays. I don't care if Tannehill plays. I don't even care if Beth Bethard or Trevor play. I think both of our quarterbacks are better than both of their quarterbacks. I think the defense is better, more weapons in offense. So in my opinion, I think the Jaguars come away with this W, but – 
the Titans are going to come ready to play. They're not just looking forward to the offseason. They want to ruin the Jaguar season as bad as even if they were playing a playoff game. This is something that's serious to them. They want to build that momentum going into the offseason. So Jaguars are going to have to come in and take care of business, but I think they have the better team, and I think they will. Former tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Clay Harbor, is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Clay, happy new year, my friend. Really appreciate the time. And if a playoff run does begin, maybe we'll dial your phone in a week or two and see where the Jaguars stand. Absolutely. We love that, Ryan. Appreciate you, man. Happy new year. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Thursday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The national championship in college football will be decided Monday night between Michigan and Washington. The two unbeatens left standing in the Power Five will play for the title. Let's talk about that game. Let's also talk about some of the issues going on in the month of December and early January as far as scheduling Quite frankly, there just seems to be too much going on right now in the world of college football. With that, let me welcome in my friend Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on primetime. You read his terrific work at SaturdayDownSouth.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Matt, how we doing? Great, Hack. How are you? Matt, we're good. Hope your new year was well, brother. And uh, look, the bowl season is what it is, right, with the opt-outs and the declarations for the NFL. I mean, I get it. But, Matt, watching that Orange Bowl in Miami, I think we knew it was going to be bad, and then you actually saw it. That was not college football, Matt. And I don't know what can be done, but uh, that was an embarrassment, I think, to the sport that day. Hack, don't be part of the echo chamber, man. Don't don't, don't go down that road, man. It was awful, look, Matt. Look, I'm not saying it wasn't awful, but there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. Every time the players get any sort of advantage in college football, coaches come out and say, it's got to be fixed. It's not sustainable. Well, guess what? It is sustainable. It doesn't have to be fixed. You make $12 million a year, figure it out. That's what really, to me, is the most disturbing thing of all. I get it. It was unfortunate that Florida State's players, a majority of their elite players, opted out because, you know what? They're trying to protect their financial future it'd be fiscally reckless of them to not opt out that game. All right. You're not going to get to the point where bowls pay players to, to play in that game. Do you think Keon Coleman would have taken $50,000 to play in that game instead of trying to secure his financial future by not playing that game? Of course he wouldn't. $50,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to what it could be. So I, to me, the whole thing is, You've got coaches out there complaining, and then it's an echo chamber for everyone else because, and I get this too, because, Hack, because they all want, you know, the great games. It's television convenience. I want to see a great game, and I get that. I totally get that. But at the end of the day, it's up to coaches who have recruited these rosters, both through high schools and the transfer portal, to be ready in the event something like this happens. You recruited these guys. Figure it out and make it happen. If it doesn't, you know, you're going to have ugly games like that. Maybe you'd still have an ugly game like that. Look, it's what it is. Because it, because you've you've had this situation in college, college sports and college football specifically where the players have got the short end of the deal for more than 150 years. You know, they've been in a situation where they haven't received any money. Now they're at the point where not only are they receiving money of the NIL – 
now they start to see, okay, wait, this would not be smart for me to play in this bowl game. And now it's starting to get more and more important to these players that, hey, I need to protect my financial future. And I know fans don't like it. And I know fans say, well, this isn't my college football. You're right, it's not. But it's where college football is right now. Just enjoy the sport. It's still a great sport. It's still a great game. You're still going to get a majority of the bowl games being very good. How many of the bowl games were complete ugly blowouts because of because of opt-outs? One. One, really. Yeah, but let, right? me, let me ask you this, though, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I, I, I think the players deserve to get paid, and that's not my point. My point is – if you're the Orange Bowl, this was the Orange Bowl. This was not Bob's front porch bowl. This was the Orange Bowl. And no, you're I understand. and your sponsors and you're asking people to spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars for tickets to go to this game. Who in their right mind is ever gonna do that again after what we saw on Saturday? I mean, when it becomes a twelve team playoff, these bowl games are gonna have serious problems because no one after that, to me, is going to fork out their hard-earned dollar for airfare, hotel, food, you know, travel, all that. These sponsors, why would you want to put your name associated with something that was basically a glorified scrimmage between a varsity and a junior varsity? I get the player's point of view. From the sports point of view, they got to do something because they're going to lose money, are they not? No, they're not. No, they're not. There's no way that's, that sponsors are going, to, are going to dive off a game like the Orange Bowl because it happened one time. Let me look, look, look at, okay, let's look at, let's say, LSU's game against in the Outback Bowl, which is now the Rely Quest Bowl or whatever the hell they're calling it now, okay? That's a big game. The Outback Bowl is a big bowl, okay? It's not a major near six bowl, but that's a big bowl, all right? The, the Heisman Trophy winner opted out of that game. The, the, and he was the only one to opt out of that game. Now, Malik Neighbors only played the first half, but he was the only one of on that team topped out of that game. So you, you can go down the line now, okay? We're taking this Florida State game, which was unfortunate for Florida State. There's no doubt about it, okay? No doubt about it. Um, we're taking this Florida State game, and we're kind of painting a broad brush with all of the sport. And I don't see it. It's also a rare instance where Florida State lost its quarterback hack. They lost their starting quarterback. And when they lost their starting quarterback, they lost their spot in the playoff. So it wasn't just one thing where guys are opting out. It was a combination of things that began with the, them losing their quarterback. They don't lose their quarterback. None of this happens. So I, I think, again, I think we're taking one instance that kind of snowballed a little bit because they lost their quarterback, because they didn't get, get in the playoff, because they're not going to the Orange Bowl where none of those other guys that are elite players are thinking, all right, well, our quarterback's not there. Why would I go into a bowl game and play play with a backup quarterback when I know we're going to lose anyway, and risk the, and risk getting injured? So I think it's one spot, but like we always do in anything now in, in societies, we take one thing and we blow it up into this major thing. I feel bad for Florida State, I really do. And I saw Mike Norvell's uh, speech afterwards. I saw it online. A great speech to his team afterwards, and he's right. They didn't deserve. It. They did not deserve that. Um, it's unfortunate, but it happened. But I don't think we can take one incident and all of a sudden say, oh, my God, these games are terrible now. I just don't. You get Matt Hayes every day on primetime. You also read him at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Matt, I had a, one of your colleagues, Bill Bender, on a couple of weeks ago, and he brought up a really interesting point in the month of December and now I guess early January with the transfer portal and everything that goes on. 
when you open up the portal during bowl season, that's essentially like the NFL saying, let's start free agency on wild card weekend. Now, I don't know about the calendar and what can be done, but the portal and NIL and early signing period and everything that is packed in before the January semester starts. I mean, you've covered the sport as long as anybody I've known. There's too much stuff going on right now, correct? Why? I, I don't understand this, Hack. I, I don't understand this. I, I don't understand it when coaches say it. I don't understand it when fans say it. I don't understand it when anyone says it. Why, why, why is it wrong to have players give the players the ability to get in the portal three weeks before signing day? It's good for coaches, too. Because if, it, if you open the portal after signing day, then they have no idea what they're going to need. Because all of a sudden, if you, you lose quarterback who you thought was going to be a quarterback the following year to the portal, then what are you doing? You've missed out in, in high school recruiting where you could have addressed those needs. I don't understand what, what coaches are so upset about this. I get it. It's a lot of work. And roster management is completely different now because of, of the way NIL and pre-player movement has have changed the way things work. But, again, I go back to, look, you're getting paid a lot of money, man. Figure it out. Stop whining about it. Stop saying it's unsustainable because guess what? It is sustainable and it's not going anywhere. And it's just it's funny to me how they how, how they complain about this. What do they want? Do they want the portal to open after signing day? How does that help them at all? I, I it's bizarre to me. Well, I guess one of the points is, you know, you're trying to prepare for a bowl game, you're trying to recruit, and now you got the portal added on to it. That again that goes back to my point about the bowl season, right? How can you prepare for a bowl game? Florida State got the most mentions. Heck, but, it's easy yeah. how you, you prepare for bowl game and you recruit. But was it it's Ohio? the same way you prepare for, for games during the season and you recruit. It's the same thing. Yeah, but Matt, I think it was like Ohio University. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. They're another team that had like 20 guys in the portal that did not right. play in their bowl game. Now, nobody cares because it's Ohio University and they were in a – you know, less tier bowl game. But it was not just Florida State. A lot of schools had to deal with this. Florida State was the only one that was showcased nationally that had to deal with it. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly you're going to have the group of five schools that are going to deal with opt-outs or transfer portal guys affecting bowl games. There's no doubt about that, all right? But again, we're talking about bowl games, number one. And number two, there were other teams that were affected by it. Arizona was affected by it. And guess what? They beat Big Bad Oklahoma in a bowl game. So I, I, you can look at this any way you want to look at it. For every every instance you say it affected this team, I'm going to tell you here's another way where it did affect the team. All right? Uh, LSU lost its Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback and won a bowl game. So you, you, you can look at it any way you want to look at it. All I'm saying is at the end of the day, it comes down to are you going to whine about it or are you going to figure a way out of it? And a lot of times you hear coaches whine about it because you know why they whine about it, Hack? because it gives them the excuse. If they lose the game, then they have the excuse. Matt Hayes here with us. Matt, we're on the doorstep of a changing of the guard in college football. One more game for the national title, and then 2024 will be the craziest year maybe in the history of college football with all the realignment, the 12-team playoff. Ironically enough, Michigan and Washington will play twice in 2024, once for the national title, and then in a Big Ten conference game, in October. Go figure. Uh, no Southeastern Conference team, Matt, for the first time in forever 
in a national title game. I'm curious your thoughts there, and ultimately who do you think wins between Michigan and Washington? First time since 2014 since the first playoff. Um, think about how different that regular season game is going to be for Michigan and Washington. Quarter, quarterbacks will be gone. Um, a lot of the skill guys will be gone to the NFL. It's going to be a completely different team. Uh, this game's going to be fun, man. It, it'll be really fun. I, I think at the end of the day, though, it's going to come down to a, a you know what's your philosophy. Washington likes to go up and down the field. Michigan likes to run and play defense. It's who can impose their will. And I, I, I it's almost like with Michigan hack that they finally got over the, the top. You know, the top, the hump, the top was knocked off this thing, and now it's going to be all downhill. And, and I feel like they're just they're playing really well defensively. And if they figure out that, look, the key to us winning is getting Blake Quorum the ball, then, I mean, I think Michigan's going to be in really good shape. Look, against the Alabama hack, Blake Quorum, they had 11 drives in that game, okay? Blake Quorum touched the ball at least 50% of the time on four of the drives. They scored all four drives. On the other seven drives where he didn't touch the ball at least 50% of the time, they had six punts and a missed field goal after the Alabama turnover. So they went 20 yards in that drive. They went... They had 72 yards in those seven drives where he did not touch the ball 50% of the time and like 286, I believe it is, when he did touch the ball half the time, at least half the time. He, they got to get him the ball. When they get him the ball, good things happen, and they play a really good defense, and they'll slow down Washington. I think Michigan will win the game. Matt, real quick, because I want to end with Florida. Uh, regardless of what happens on Monday night, win or lose, is Harbaugh in the NFL next year? It's a lock. In my opinion, I think he's gone. I think he's going to go to probably the Chargers or or, or another job, but the Chargers looks like the job. Um, and then I think uh, Michigan will just, just elevate Sharon Moore to be the head coach. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, all the rumors about Harbaugh, we'll see what happens, win or lose after Monday night. Finally, Matt, I always enjoy our dialogue during the week about uh, the University <laughs> of Florida and Billy Napier. Uh, look, I mean, they lost some recruits, obviously, uh, they did keep some of them. I thought it was vital to keep DJ Lagway and LJ McRae. They did. Uh, Miles Graham, another one. You know, so they they did not, you know, strike out on everybody. But what I'm curious about, and I want to get your thoughts here as we wrap up. We've heard for now two years in a row how active they're going to be in the portal. Right? Last <laughs> year left a lot to be desired in the portal. This year they've gotten like four guys. So I guess that's something. But they haven't really hit a home run, as you would call it. What is going on with Billy Napier in the transfer portal? I don't know, Hack. Honestly, I mean, I'm I'm being completely honest. It's it's bizarre. I, I think part of it is you got guys that don't want to go to a bad situation. Um, part of it is they're trying to find the perfect guys to fit for them. And I think if you're adding in the portal, you've got to you you have to understand that the portal is what it is. There's a reason it's there. There's a reason the majority of these guys are in the portal. You know, they're the unloved and the unwanted um, majority of them. You know, and there are there are a few elite guys that are trying to just get to a different program and win a championship. They're not going to get those guys because you're not winning a championship in Florida. So then what guys are you getting? Um, the, look, it, it, their team, their game, their season in 2024 is going to rely on young guys. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and they've got to get to the point where those young guys contribute immediately and make impact impact immediately. I don't know that that's going to happen, man. That's a lot to ask. They've got a lot of young guys in that roster that if you're talking about 
has the staff developed these young guys over the last two years, you, you could very easily make the argument that they have not been developed, okay? And now you're talking about, okay, we've got another new class that has that isn't it isn't as far as stars as good as the previous two classes. All right. And I know they've got the player of the year in the state of Florida and the player of the year in the state of Texas. But if you go by the recruiting rankings, this class that they just signed is not as good as his first two classes. All right. So then you say, all right, so how is that going to make that much of an impact for them to win enough games for him to be safe in his job? And I, I don't know how it happens. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if they become a, a staff that suddenly can develop players. But they've got the toughest schedule in college football next year. Um, and and they haven't proven that they can develop players. Here's a perfect example, okay? You go on 247sports.com and you see they have a talent evaluation. What they do is they take the entire roster as far as recruiting stars and say, this is the ranking of the rosters throughout the, all of college football. Right now, Michigan is number 14, if you can believe that, okay? And they're in the national championship game. Washington's number 25 in the national championship game. In other words, they know how to recruit and develop. They know how to develop the lower tier, the, the lower four-star and the three-star guys, okay? Florida is one spot behind Michigan at 15, and Florida won five games. Mm-hmm. So you take that how you want to take that. Yeah, it's a bad situation. You combine that with, like you said, the hardest schedule in college football next year, and we'll see, but it doesn't look good right now, no question about it. Quickly, well, while I got you here, we'll do it again in about a month's time, but uh, 60 seconds. DJ Ungolele to Florida State. How big a deal is that? You still can't say it, can you? DJU. How about that? DJU. Uwe Ungolele. You have to figure it out. I mean, he's going to be the Florida State quarterback. Oh, let me try it. DJ Uwe Ungolele. There you go. Perfect. All right. Um, I, I think he played well at Oregon State. He was in a good situation at Oregon State because they had a nice defense. Um, and he was in a nice scheme where they, you know, they put him in position to do, to do good things. Um, I, I look, I trust Mike Novell because clearly the guy knows how to develop quarterbacks, um, both as an assistant at Arizona state, as the head coach at Memphis, at the head coach of Florida state, he's got a track record of developing quarterbacks and making them better. So I trust him. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a curious ad. I guess it's the best ad of what was left out there in the portal. Um, it doesn't mean that Luke doesn't come in there and win that job as a freshman because he's ultra talented. But yeah, at least you've got DJU there to to to, to get things started to at least set the table for for Luke. You get Matt Hayes every day on XL Prime Time. You also get him at SaturdayDownSouth.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Matt, appreciate it, man. Do the Jaguars get it done on Sunday? Do they punch their ticket to the playoffs? I don't know, man. That's that's going to be a heavy lift. That's going to be a tough, tough game. I, I think they do it, but I think it's going to be very, very tough. I agree. I think it's nail-biting time in the fourth quarter, but I think they finally get it done late in the game. Matt, appreciate it, brother. We'll talk again soon. All right, Heck. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Titans, Sunday at 1 o'clock. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. A Jacksonville victory means another AFC South championship. A Jacksonville loss probably means the end of their season. The stakes are very high. With that, let's go to Jordan DeJani, CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jordan, hope your new year was well, man. How are you? 
What's going on, Ryan? I'm doing well. Hope you are as well. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Yeah, Jordan, obviously it's a big weekend in the AFC South. And before we talk about both games, it's amazing how the NFL season, the ebbs and flows, the roller coaster that it is. If I were to tell you two months ago, even a month ago, that it would come down to week 18 and three teams in the division were still alive for the title, what would you have said, Jordan? I would have been absolutely shocked. I'd have been wondering who that third team is. I was kind of high on the Jaguars coming into this year. I was a little hopeful for the Tennessee Titans being based in Nashville. Of course, the 2023 campaign didn't go according to plan. But, man, the Indianapolis Colts and Houston Texans both sitting at 9-7. and seven. Incredible years by two first-year head coaches and Shane Steichen and Danico Ryans. The AFC South really has been one of the most intriguing divisions in the NFL this season. And as you mentioned, it sets up for quite an entertaining um, situation here in Week 18 to see who gets in the playoffs and who does not. The Jaguars righted the ship after four straight losses. They dominated Carolina 26-0. And I understand, you know, Carolina's awful, and I get that. And when the biggest headline for your franchise is the owner throwing a drink at somebody, they got problems there in Charlotte. But, Jordan, (laughs) it was a dominating performance with C.J. Beathard at quarterback 26 nothing. I don't care who you're playing. In the NFL, you beat somebody by 26. That's a good day at the office. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, coming off of a four-game losing streak, this is kind of exactly what the doctor ordered for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The offense looks solid. As you mentioned, 26-0. to It was good to see the defense get back on track as well. I mean, the four games before the Carolina blowout, I think the Jags' defense was allowing something like 29 points per game, 400 yards of total offense per game. Some pretty putrid numbers, and in that four-game stretch, they did face good teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, but they also faced the Cincinnati Bengals and Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. So seeing that Jaguars defense get back on track, I think is going to be vital for their potential postseason success. Josh Allen, I think, had three sacks versus Carolina. He has 16-and-a-half quarterback takedowns on the season, as you know, the most in Jaguars history for a single season. Go ahead and pencil them in for another one and a half against the Titans on Sunday against this terrible offensive line. The Jaguars' defense getting back on track, I think, was a big takeaway um, from Week 17. Jordan DeJani of CBSSports.com. Jordan, you've covered the league for a while now, man. Evan Ingram, I believe only the eighth tight end in league history with 100-plus receptions. He joined only Jimmy Smith as the only Jaguars to ever have 100 catches from a guy that New York didn't want anymore. I mean, I had fans laughing at me when the Jaguars signed Evan Ingram, some of my giant buddies, to now 104 catches, and he's 12 shy of the all-time tight end record for a single season. What a job by Evan Ingram since he arrived down here in Jacksonville. I think it's great to see because, I mean, I loved watching this guy in college. At Ole Miss, he was just a versatile chess piece that you could use in the passing game. And when he went to the Giants, I mean, you saw some flashes of that, but he was nowhere near consistent enough to where I thought he was going to be as an NFL player. And then, of course, there were some issues with drops as well. So when he made his way to Jacksonville and then the Jaguars made that hire of Doug Peterson, I was very hopeful to see what Evan Ingram could become in this league. And as you mentioned, I mean, the eighth tight end in NFL history, to have 100 receptions in a season. He is proving to be that versatile chess piece a lot of people speculated he could be. Um, and I think that he could be, you know, one of those potential X factors for a deep postseason run for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just love players like this who have good size, 
good speed. You can line them up in different spots on the field and use them to your advantage. Mismatches are the name of the game in the NFL, and Evan Ingram certainly provides a good mismatch. And Jordan, certainly, look, when you get to the defensive side of the ball, you talked about Josh Allen. His partner over there is Trayvon Walker. And look, nationally, everybody talks about Aiden Hutchinson, and with good reason. Hutchinson's a very good player. But very quietly, Jordan, if you look at the last seven games, man, Trayvon Walker is really coming on. He's got nine sacks this year. His pressure rate's getting better. His tackle for loss number is improving. Trayvon Walker, maybe the light is coming on for him. You and I talked about it earlier this year. I mean, Trayvon Walker has been kind of an underrated storyline here for Jacksonville. I, I do have my own concerns with how the Jaguars use him in their defensive scheme. Right? He's not your traditional 4-3 pass rusher such as Aiden Hutchinson is doing for the Detroit Lions but he's showing off some of the versatility that he was lauded for coming out of Georgia I mean there was a great rep he had last week where he cut in on the inside for a sack he's capable of doing a lot in this defensive scheme and he's someone who hasn't been really given his flowers right I mean he's been good in uh, run support he's been good in terms of what he's been asked to do on that defensive side but Josh Allen is the guy who's been the QB takedown artist, if you will. But Trayvon Walker would talk about versatile pieces on offense. He's certainly a versatile piece on defense. And as you mentioned, maybe the light has come on for him. Maybe he is getting more comfortable with this team. He's in his second season. So that's another player to keep an eye on in the playoffs once or if Jacksonville beats Tennessee on Sunday. Yeah, Trayvon Walker, three and a half sacks his rookie year, up to nine sacks now in year number two. Jordan DeJani of CBS Sports. Dot com. All right, Jordan, Jaguars-Titans on Sunday. Two years ago, the Indianapolis Colts came to Jacksonville, final week of the regular season. Colts had everything to play for. Jacksonville had nothing to play for. They had just fired Urban Meyer. And the Jaguars put one on Indy, ruining their season, knocking them out of the playoffs. And I've been screaming that all week. This Titan team, Mike Vrabel, they're not going to play bad to me twice in a row. They were awful last week against Houston. That's not very Tennessee-esque. I would have to think, Jordan, you tell me you're based in Nashville, as you said. I think the Jaguars are going to get the Titans' best shot on Sunday. Yeah, you know, that's something I'm wondering myself. I will say, you know, covering this team over the past couple of years, it seems like the Titans are in kind of the worst spot they've been in, just in the Mike Vrabel era. I mean, we, the Titans just played their first games in the Mike Vrabel era where they were not in playoff contention. It took six years for Mike Vrabel to play a play or a play regular season game where his team was not in postseason contention. And, you know, they have some pieces like Derrick Henry playing against his hometown team, which will be fun to watch. DeAndre Hopkins has quietly been extremely solid for this Titans offense, which will be totally lost without him. It seems like, but man, we have injuries at the quarterback position with Will Levis. It remains to be seen how he's going to fare this week or if he's going to play at all. If not, it will be Ryan Tannehill under center. But, uh, I mean, I think the whole key to victory here is taking advantage of Tennessee's offensive line, which has been the biggest concern for this team at large, in my opinion. It makes offensive game planning impossible. It makes drop-back passing tough. It makes running the ball extremely difficult for Derrick Henry. If that Jaguars defensive front can find success, which they are more than capable of doing so, um, the, ja the Jaguars are going to win this game. So I think, you know, most people would agree, NFL pundits around the league, that Jacksonville should be favored in this game and that they are more likely than not going to win the AFC South. There's always a puncher's chance that Tennessee at home could come out motivated and play spoiler. 
couple of more for Jordan DeJani of CBS Sports. Jordan, I'm curious, being up there in Nashville, what's the vibe around there about this game? Do you expect a good crowd in Nashville on Sunday? That's a good question. Um, I I don't think they're I don't think I've taken the temperature on the vibe to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, it is the regular season finale, so there are going to be some people out there that want to get out there and see this team for the last time. But there's also another faction, probably a larger faction of the fan base that is ready to forget the 2023 season ever happened and really turn their attention to the off season. So. Not really sure what to expect from a crowd standpoint, but as you mentioned, with Mike Rabel in charge, uh, with a motivated group, we saw this Titans team take down the Miami Dolphins from behind in primetime on the road. So at home against the Jaguars, maybe they want to put on that spoiler mindset. Um, so like you said, you can't really uh, pencil anything in until it happens. That's why we play the game. Now the interesting thing, Saturday night, Indianapolis and Houston – play in what is a playoff game the winner is going to be in the question is will they be a wild card or will they be a division champ and we'll have to wait till the Jags Titans final on Sunday to figure that out but what is your thought about Houston and Indy two coaches that have done a remarkable job here in 2023 in a playoff situation on Saturday night Man, I'm very excited for this game. And, you know, the last time these two teams played was a long time ago, back in week two, where Indianapolis defeated Houston in Houston 31-20. to In that game, Anthony Richardson exited early with a concussion. Minshew came in, only threw for 171 yards and a touchdown, but had just four incompletions. And I remember in this game that both defenses kind of struggled. We saw something like 740-something yards of total offense in this game. Nico Collins, I remember, had a really big game as well. I like both these teams a lot. They've been a lot of fun to watch over the past few weeks. The Indianapolis Colts, to me, are so tough to figure out because you never know what you're going to get from the defensive side of the ball to the offense, right? The the Colts run a a tremendous amount of RPO. So Gardner Minshew could be handing the ball up a lot. He could be scrambling. He could be passing the ball down the field. You never know what you're going to get from Indianapolis and if you're going to get a consistent performance at that. As for the Houston Texans, they're led by – who will likely be the offensive rookie of the year, and C.J. Stroud, who is back um, after suffering that concussion. He had a pretty good outing against the Titans last week. The Texans, in my opinion, have all they need to win this game, even um, in this situation, right? So I'm leaning towards the Texans in this matchup. They're the team that I'm a little bit more intrigued by with C.J. Stroud, with Nico Collins, with Dalton Schultz. The defensive side of the ball, the back end really has to hold up. We saw them got abused by Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper a couple weeks ago. But if I'm picking a winner in this one, I'm leaning towards Houston. Final moments, Jordan DeJani of CBSSports.com. Quickly, Jordan, before I get your prediction on both games, uh, Shane Steichen, D'Amico Ryans. If they're the two vying for coach of the year, in your opinion, who would you give the nod to? I would give the nod to D'Amico Ryans, um, especially considering historically you have to look at the numbers of the Texas defense over the past couple of years. Now I'm not going to argue that here in 2023, the Texas defense is one of the best in the league, but considering where they were over the past couple of years, they've made tremendous strides. And then you have to factor in the offensive side of the ball. Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator has done a tremendous job getting CJ Stroud on the right path. Devin Singletary has been a revelation as well. Something that no one was anticipating. The wide receiving core looked great when Tank Dell was healthy. I already talked about Nico Collins. I think you have to lean towards D'Amico Ryans. But if I had to pick a coach to march into the future with, to be honest, I'd love both guys. But I'm really intrigued by Shane Steichen. I mean, he took a backup quarterback and he's found uh, a large amount of success, put them in playoff positioning with Gardner Minshew. 
So I think you, either either coach could win this award, um, but I'm probably going to lead towards D'Amico because I feel like the Texans have made strides on both sides of the ball. You like Houston on Saturday night. What about Jacksonville and Tennessee on Sunday? Yeah, I'm going to take uh, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they'll finish out the season in strong fashion because, in my opinion, they need to, right? You talked about getting back on the right track against the Carolina Panthers, but that was the Carolina Panthers. That's a Panthers team that lost to Tennessee a couple weeks ago. So continuing to build consistency on both sides of the ball, hopefully Trevor Lawrence is back under center. Um, I think it's important to get your team um, on the right track in terms of registering a big-time victory over a division rival to end the regular season, clinch that division crown. I'm going to stick with Jacksonville. Jordan, final question. San Francisco's got home field in the NFC. Baltimore has home field in the AFC. Is anybody going to go in there and knock either one of those teams off? <laughs> I think it's very possible. You know, I, I, I think you'd have to lean towards the one seeds, right? It, it, that, that Christmas night matchup we had just felt like a Super Bowl preview, even if the Baltimore Ravens really did take advantage of the 49ers in the Bay. One team that I've been watching over the past couple of weeks that I think has been making some notable improvements is the Detroit Lions. And I didn't like the Lions a lot this year because of their defense, right? That their, their secondary really gave up a lot of chunk plays for the majority of the season. But the fact that they went into Dallas this past week and held the Cowboys to just 20-point score, which marked, which marked a season low for Dallas in Dallas, I think that speaks volumes about where the Lions are headed on the defensive side of the ball. Then you throw in the fact that C.J. Gardner-Johnson could be back. Aline McNeil could be back. They got Houston, the young pass rusher, who could be making his return to the lineup as well. Maybe it's time to buy just a little bit of stock in the Detroit Lions on the NFC side of things. Jordan, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what you have coming out at CBSSports.com leading into this weekend. Yep, at CBSSports.com, there's never any kind of lack of intriguing content for you to digest. We're going to be breaking down the NFL playoff picture, forwards and backwards. There's going to be a lot of different rankings, um, breaking down different position groups, things like that. So check us all out, check us all out at CBSSports.com. Appreciate you having me on the show. Jordan DeJan, he's one of our guys, CBSSports.com. Jordan, really appreciate the time, brother. We'll talk soon. Anytime. Thank you. And thank you to my buddy Jordan DeJani of CBSSports.com for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. As again, the AFC South will be decided on Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. The winner of Houston and Indianapolis gets a playoff spot. They get the division title that winner does if Jacksonville loses on Sunday. If Jacksonville wins, the Jaguars are division champs and the Houston Indy winner will get a wild card spot. So the AFC South was thought to be one of the worst divisions in football heading into the year. That has been far from the case here in the 2023-2024 NFL season. Well, the big takeaway of the evening tonight here on Hacker After Dark is don't let lightning strike twice. Two years ago, the Jaguars at home, having absolutely nothing to play for, welcomed in the Indianapolis Colts, who were in a win-and-end scenario, and Jacksonville absolutely beat the brakes off of Indianapolis, costing Indianapolis that playoff spot. There were a lot of Jaguars that were on that roster two years ago that are still here, including quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Remember that game. Very similar situation this week, 
except the Jaguars are in the exact opposite position. Now they're the road team with a win-and-end mentality. The Titans, the home team that have absolutely nothing to play for, don't let history repeat itself. Go into Nashville, get it done, get on Tennessee early, and get in to the postseason. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very, very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Jordan DeJani, CBSSports.com. We always appreciate Jordan stopping by. Thank you to my friend Matt Hayes. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him here on Hacker After Dark as well previewing Washington and Michigan in the national championship game next Monday, talking about what I think is a big problem moving forward with bowl season and opt-outs and NFL declarations, the transfer portal. There's a lot going on, and we certainly appreciate Matt for joining us tonight. Thank you to Clay Harbor, former tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Enjoyed that conversation with Clay Harbor, previewing the Jags and the Titans. And thank you to my buddy Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com for stopping by, as he always does with us here on Hacker After Dark. Now, we will be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week beginning at 8 o'clock, and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending time with us here on a Thursday evening on Acker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday night, and we will talk to you tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.